All right, welcome. Thanks everybody for attending um, our How to Make the Most of Your Liberal Arts degree panel. My name's Peter Bartell. Uh, my colleagues here, uh, Daisy Gillum, Torian Parker, and I will be your facilitators this evening. As we get started, we'd love to know um, who's joined us. So like we said before, pop in the chat where you're from, what your major is, um, any social media profiles, LinkedIn, et cetera, professional that you'd like to put in the chat. Um, definitely uh, share it there, and um, we're glad to have you join us. As a reminder, um, this session is recorded, um, just FYI. Uh, if you did register through Handshake, um, this session will, the link to this recorded session will be shared in the comment section um, of that Handshake chat um, probably tomorrow at some point, so just check it, and, and we'll have it up there for you. So uh, we're now sharing the check-in uh QR code on the screen. You'll see it at the bottom there. Uh, so if you did register on Handshake, pull out your phone and, and take uh, just scan your camera over this code for the event check-in. We'll give you a minute to do so. We also wanted to note our access and accommodation statement, which we'll read here for you now. Your experience here at Southern New Hampshire University is important to us. It's our policy and practice to create an inclusive and accessible learning environment. If there are aspects of this presentation's design uh, or delivery that present barriers to accessibility, please notify the online students, online accessibility center by emailing oac at snhu.edu or by phone at 866-305-9430. For campus students, campus accessibility center by emailing cac at snhu.edu or by phone at 603-644-3118. SNHU staff and faculty, HR office by emailing hr at snhu.edu. All right, Torian, we can go to the next slide. Thanks. Uh, so definitely pay attention to this one. Um, on your screen now, you'll see information on our upcoming other sessions as part of our um, liberal arts week we have upcoming. This is not, these aren't limited just to liberal arts majors. So if you are a business major or anything else and you and you have uh, interest in these, absolutely feel free to attend. We, we definitely welcome it. Uh, but feel free to check out Handshake for these uh, sessions, including a full list of, of other sessions. We typically have 20 to 30 uh, listed at any given time. Um, and feel free to register. Most of all are virtual. Um, I can safely say that right now and all are free to attend. So while you're reviewing that, uh, let me provide a few tips on how to relay questions and comments to our panelists. Please note that all, as we mentioned before, all webcams and mics will be disabled to provide the opportunity for us to focus on the conversation this evening. So to submit any questions, that chat box function um, towards the upper right, uh, we'll continue to monitor that throughout the session. So if you have any questions, please feel free to put them in there and Daisy, Torian and I will uh, will be sure to capture them and then address them um, at the conclusion of the uh, of the we'll call it the first part of the session where we have some some initial questions for the panelists. Um, we've also shared our contact information. Next slide, Torian. Sorry. Thanks. So this is our contact information for career. Feel free to contact us at any time um, for all things career search, uh, exploration, resume writing, interviewing, salary negotiation, job search, etc. Um, we're glad to have you join us for this panel and absolutely we want to continue our communication with you. So if you have any questions or anything, um, 
absolutely feel free to uh, uh, to to list it in there. All right, next slide, Torian. Okay, now we'll introduce our panelists. Um, so feel free to scan. By the way, each of their QR codes is their LinkedIn profiles that we've gotten permission to give. Um, so without further ado, I'll kick it to Daisy to introduce our first panelist. Hey, thanks, Peter. Happy to be here. So um, I would like to introduce Alex, Alexandra. So Alexandra Finkel is with Bustle Digital Group. She is their Director of Editorial Operations, Talent and Inclusion. And I'm muting my screen, I'm sorry. She is a founding editor of Bustle.com, and she now manages talent acquisition, recruiting, and DEI efforts across all of BDG's properties. She previously worked at Condé Nast in business development and is a graduate of the Metal Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern University. And we are happy to have you here today. Thank you. Hi, everyone. So excited to be here today. Thanks, Alex. Amy Banton is our next panelist. She's a corporate recruiter at Pace, a marketing agency based in North Carolina. She also has experience in both print and TV journalism. She's originally from Rustburg, Virginia, and graduated with a BA in communications from Randolph-Macon Women's College. Amy, good to see you again, and, and thanks for being here this evening. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, no problem. So uh, our third panelist, next panelist, is Dr. Michelle Tovar. Uh, and she's the director of public engagement at Holocaust Museum Houston and is res is responsible for expanding the museum's en engagement with new audiences, the public, students, and scholars. She earned her MLA in history at the University of St. Thomas and her, and her doctorate in education at the University of Houston in curriculum and instruction in K-12 social education, emphasizing social justice education. She's a Smithsonian Latino Museum Studies alum, a Fulbright Hayes Scholar, and currently serves as a Houston Coalition Against Hate board member. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, everyone. Awesome, fantastic. Uh, I would also like to introduce Lisa. So Lisa Braxton is the author of the novel, The Talking Drum, which is the winner of a 2021 Independent Publisher Book Awards Gold Medal, overall winner of the Shelf Unbound Book Review Magazine's 2020 Independently Published Book Award, winner of the 2020 Outstanding Literary Award from the National Association of Black Journalists, and a finalist for the International Book Awards. In addition to being a novelist, she is an Emmy-nominated former television journalist, an essayist, and a short story writer. She earned her Bachelor's of Arts degree in Mass Media from Hampton University, her Master's of Science degree in Journalism from Northwestern University, and her Master of Fine Arts degree in Creative Writing from Southern New Hampshire University. So we're always happy to have an alum, and we appreciate you being here today, Lisa. It's very nice to be here. Thank you. And Tori, and we can go to the next slide, too. I forgot to say it. Sorry. Awesome. Zach Wepfer is our last introduction. Zach is a bilingual recruiter, uh, le recruitment leader with a passion for diversity and inclusion. He has a diverse recruitment background in both in-house and agency environments and has recruited globally across corporate functions such as technology, data, marketing, finance, HR, and more. He has also recruited individuals for internships and entry-level roles up to senior director and vice president positions. Today, he's the talent acquisition leader for Latin America for the Coca-Cola company. In this role, he provides strategic direction and execution of professional recruitment across, across the Lat 
across LATAM, a leading leading a team of senior recruiters in the region. Welcome, Zach. Good to have you. Hi, everyone. Good to see everyone. Good to see you all. I'm really looking forward to the discussion. My apologies for not getting my LinkedIn profile in sooner. I just put it in the chat. Uh, looking for a discussion awesome. with all the panel members. Thanks. Good, good. Thanks, Zach. All right. Uh, so thank you, panelists, uh, for being here again this evening and providing uh, such, such excellent input as to come. So um, we'll now get started with the questions portion of the chat. Uh, Tori, and we can uh, unshare the screen and uh, we'll, we'll keep our panelists spotlighted front and center here. So um, again, attendees, students, alumni, any faculty that are present, feel free to put any questions you have absolutely in the chat. Torian, Daisy, and I will will uh, monitor that throughout the session and log them. Um, so we'll start with the questions. Um, this question is to all panelists. Uh, what skills would you encourage students and job seekers to go out of their way to learn and develop that they might not typically find in liberal arts coursework? Whoever wants to answer first, we'll let you have the floor. Well, I'm happy to start. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. So as mentioned, I work for a digital media company, and we have employees from who come from all different sorts of majors. Um, but a few things that I would really encourage you all to explore is, um, one, any type of video or design classes. Um, it is funny how often those skills come up, even not necessarily with our journalists, but a lot of our other positions. So those within social media or communications, PR, even marketing, um, sales, all those roles, um, for some reason, you know, design, graphic design really does come up. I mean, a lot of our marketing team has to design their own decks. So I would encourage you to take a look at maybe those type of courses uh, that even though you're not necessarily going into a graphic design role or a video production role, it's always good to have a little bit of those skills in your uh, in your background there. I'd like to answer that question also. I would say that um, there isn't one particular class or discipline I would suggest, but I would say be as much of a sponge as you can possibly be. My background, I was I, I was kind of a dabbler. I loved everything. I majored in, in communications in college, and I, I took courses in radio, television, advertising, public relations, newspaper reporting. I was the editor of my college newspaper, and when I finished, I couldn't decide what I wanted to do. So I became a radio reporter because a friend of my mother had um, purchased a, a radio station in my hometown. So I did that for about a year or so. And then I switched over into newspaper reporting. And later on, I was working for a press as an editor of scholarly journals and books. But when I came to uh, the nonprofit organization I worked at years later, I found that yeah, has become the first U.S. I found that so many of the skills I'd acquired throughout the years, all the <clears throat> my radio skills to do PSAs, to write newsletters. Uh, to do interviews with uh, the media on camera, to write brochures, blog posts, social media. So much of the foundation of my writing really, really made a difference. But I would say learn every single skill that you can because they can all come into play. So many jobs are absorbed now. So many jobs are not siloed off and you're doing so many things with your writing and your liberal, liberal arts education that any skill you can acquire that will make you marketable, I would say go for it. 
Yeah, I can agree with uh, Lisa and Alex on that, on being a sponge and definitely uh, working and focusing a little bit more on digital aspects, um, especially here in the museum setting, right? A lot of the work that we do is on digital formats from archives to education. So I've slowly started to acquire some of those skills myself going back to professional development. But yeah, I totally agree that you should be a sponge of different types of, of backgrounds to um, bring that into whatever you're interested in. One of the things that I've noticed uh, in the past few years is a lot of public speaking. And as Lisa mentioned, also being in front of the media is also very popular now in museum settings because a lot of people are interested in what's happening in the museum world. Um, and one trend I've seen um, at the marketing agency that I'm with, we're full service, so we do print, digital, videography, photography, all of it. Um, and I'm starting to see a trend uh, where a lot of our graphic designers, um, even though they've done a lot of print, they're starting to learn UX. Uh, our strategists are trying to have an understanding of user experience. Um, even uh, some of our um, our web developers, just uh, I'm seeing a lot more um, individuals try to gain an understanding of user experience, especially after the pandemic has become such a um, competitive field. So having some knowledge can help your team and also build your own skill sets for future positions. I'll, I'll echo a little bit of what everyone was saying, and I'll, I'll stay on the theme of kind of design, but I'm going to take it a little bit further in, in its communication. And I like what Amy was saying there about kind of the user experience, right? Whatever it is that you're trying to communicate, whatever the, the medium is, if it's print, digital, if it's your resume, if it's your LinkedIn profile, if it's your your digital portfolio online. Think about who's your audience that you're trying to communicate to and how can you communicate to them as quickly and effective, effic efficiently and effectively as possible, right? Um, I actually wanna make this an interactive uh, session. I see there's 23 attendees in the session and, and I have a trivia question for you all. And actually, if, if the uh, panel members wanna do this, they may know this, this bit, um, but how long does a recruiter average spending looking at a resume how long do you think hours minutes what how long do you think and, and if you guys want to put your your thoughts in the chat okay i've got 90 seconds 10 seconds any other guesses i'm curious one minute all right so we've got 90 seconds 60 seconds 10 seconds okay i've got 30 to 60 from torian thank you torian for jumping in um i've got the answer for you the average time that a recruiter spends looking at a resume is seven seconds you have seven seconds to capture the attention of a recruiter from Alex's team or Lisa or Michelle or Amy. You have seven seconds for them to look through and say, is this someone that I want to look at for 30 seconds, for 60 seconds, for five minutes, right? Because very, very quickly, they're going to look for, do you have digital digital skills, videography skills, print skills? Have you worked in, in uh, public relations or done any classes in PR? They're looking for those types of things and they're trying to figure out, Okay, I want to look at this person for more than seven seconds, 30, 60, and then they want to pick up the phone and call you and have a conversation with you. And that's just in the recruiting space. That's the space I play in. But I would say make sure that you're effectively communicating in whatever medium it is so you can hook the attention of your reader and then you can get in front of them however it is to get, to get in front of them. And design will definitely help with that for sure. I love that. Those are great answers. Um, seven seconds is not a lot of time, so it's very striking. 
So uh, I'll also open this up to anyone who wants to answer. Uh, how do diversity and inclusion topics show up lately within the liberal, liberal arts sphere? It's kind of a hot topic, so. I'll yeah. start. Oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'll start that out. Um, so as mentioned, I recently took over our DEI initiatives here at BDG um, about three-ish years ago. Um, before it had been a topic I was really passionate about, but we didn't really have any structure. Um, probably at a lot of companies you'll find that really in the last couple years is where they really put strategy and structure behind some of their initiatives. Um, and a really cool thing about our company is even though we are a digital media company, it is amazing how often DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion comes up, not only with um, obviously our employees, which you know everyone here when they work within talent acquisition or recruiting, they're gonna mention that. But it also comes up in the content that we're producing. So even our journalists, as well as our videographers, as well as our marketers, need to have some knowledge of, you know, kind of the DEI space, as well as where we stand as a company. One thing that has come up a lot recently, which I find super interesting, is a lot of our advertisers are actually coming to us before they advertise with us, you know, companies, let's say like, Chanel as a fashion company or Abercrombie & Fitch, and they're coming to us and saying, hey, what are your DEI strategies? Can you tell us your numbers? What are you doing you know, in the space? Um, and what sort of initiatives can we expect as a partner, as an advertiser with you? Um, and this has really only come up in the last two years, I would say, and it's just fascinating to see how much it is penetrating all aspects of our business. And so I highly encourage everyone here um, to, you know, become a little bit knowledgeable and also, you know, really dig into it because it's a topic I think that is really important for everyone here. Well, I, I have to say I agree with Alex. Uh, it's so important to be up on that topic and 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 de develop your interest in it because, for instance, before the job I'm at now, I'm at Massachusetts Housing Partnership. Before that, this job, I've been at my previous job for 16 years, so DEI didn't come up really. Not not much. And so during my job interview with my now employer, they asked me, how do you feel about diversity, equity and inclusion? And I kind of fumbled through the question because it's not something I really had to think about. So it's important for me to I wish I'd have been prepared for that. But that was maybe the only question I muffed. So I did get um, I did get the job. And also the uh, organization within its DEI efforts, they're looking for more vendors of color and uh, more photographers, more housing developers, more contractors. And because of my, my background and because of the people I know, I was able to suggest um, photographers of color that we could use for you know freelance jobs. And also I, I know people in the, the National Society of, of National Black Society of Engineers in, in my community. And I was able to suggest, well, why don't we look at that organization for people to to do some some of the work that we need to have done. And so I was able to bring those things to the table. And I was pretty pleased, pretty relieved I was able to bring that to the table. But it's so important to get your DEI creds in order and, and just, you know, find out how you feel about it. Think about that and, and have a response, something you sincerely feel about it so that you have something to say and bring to the table when you're talking to potential employers. Yeah, I agree. Definitely doing some homework and learning about what uh, local nonprofits are doing, uh, specifically in museums. Uh, the American Alliance of Museums for the last um, 
few years has really focused on racial justice and decolonization. So our museum, after the murder of George Floyd, put out a DEI statement and said that they would be standing in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. So with that, we had to hold the museum accountable. And I created a racial justice committee within our institution to make sure that we were holding the museum accountable for that statement, but also, as Lisa mentioned, focusing on creating partnerships with vendors of color, um, focusing on communities of color here in this area. And so we've expanded our narrative from a very Eurocentric white space to be more inclusive of BIPOC communities in this Houston area. So yeah, definitely, if you're interested in museums, check out your museum locally and see what's happening within that space. Ask those questions. What are y'all doing internally to support uh, employees of color as well? Yeah, that the, everybody's made really good points that tie into what I was going to say about the one thing that I hear from um, some of our creatives when they're talking to clients is um, it's really important to be authentic when discussing the DEI. Um, it, it's not a trend. It's not something that's, you know, when something's in the news that really brings forth the problems in today's society, it's not a trend. It's something we need to continuously work on. So um, being authentic means having um, more than just a Twitter post and saying that you stand beside someone, but like um, Michelle said, forming a committee and actually having actions in place that you are proactive in the movement and um, passion, actually passionate and care about DEI. I think from the, the Coca-Cola lens, I'll actually give a, li a little bit of a global perspective. <clears throat> so we're looking at a number of diversity dimensions, right? So gender balance, uh, culture and heritage, ability and wellness, LGBTIQ+, as well as um, generations and life experiences. So we operate and sell our beverages in every country in the world, with the exception of Cuba and North Korea. Otherwise, you can find Coca-Cola products uh, around, around the world. One of the things that we're looking to do is to take a regional and a local approach for those five dimensions that I mentioned, that, that I just uh, shared. So, for example, in North America, we're certainly focused very much on culture and heritage. And we're looking at other dimensions as well. I'll say one, one area that I was really interested to learn about in Japan, there are challenges around hiring different people of different generations. And as you get into a higher generation, it can be harder and harder to find work. And so we've got some special initiatives going on in Japan to make sure to recruit uh, the, the aging workforce, right? Because as you get older, it's harder to find a, a job there. I can speak to Latin America. We're focused very much on culture and heritage and racial equity, specifically in Brazil. So I know we're talking a lot about the black and the Afro population in North America. We're doing the same in Brazil as well. So down in Brazil, we're, we're looking at our internal data, our current recruitment practices, uh, internal partners, external partners to what can we do to make sure that we're mirroring the markets. And so there are some parts of the world where we talk a little bit more about gender balance, other parts of the world where we talk more about. Actually, I would say most most countries in the world we're talking about gender balance. But other parts of the world, we might talk more about ability and wellness and people with disabilities, right? And what can we do to make sure that our offices are accessible? Peter, I actually wanted to give you a compliment. I love that at the beginning of the call here today, you talked about access and accommodations and making sure to be accessible, making sure to be inclusive. I took a screenshot of what you shared because I'm like, that's something we need to be doing more of here at the Coca-Cola company. So I just want to give you a shout out and, and uh, recognize that. Um, so, so I would definitely say we're looking to do different things in different parts of the world to make sure to be relevant in the markets that we're serving. Great. Thank you all. Good to hear about the access and accommodation. Uh, Torian, who's actually helping us with this presentation, is kind of heading that. So I won't take credit. I just kind of 
<laughs> talked it through, but good to hear. Th- thank you, everybody, for your perspective on that. We have one last question. Um, we'll ask the panelists, um, and then uh, we're going to open it the floor. So I uh, haven't seen any questions come through yet. Totally fine, but now's your chance to kind of be first in line. So, um, yeah, absolutely um, feel free to post any questions you have in the chat, etc. So uh, the final question we have for the panelists, and then again, we'll open it to the floor. Um, and not everybody has to answer, um, but if you want to, absolutely feel free. How do entry level employees gain momentum and access mentors to further their development and professional success? Well, I know um, networking is your best friend. Um, that's very important. Um, also, those connections that you've made in your internships or externships, um, tap into those resources. Um, if there's a company that you find, um, we have people that reach out to PACE occasionally um, that have just graduated and they're asking for advice. And um, I know our creatives are really, I, I, if I have somebody have a request, I'll reach out to one of our creatives that might have an expertise that can give that person advice and um, they're willing to do so. So don't be afraid to reach out to somebody that you see on LinkedIn or uh, a company that you would love to work for and get more insight. Um, there's also uh, lots of organizations that offer opportunities for mentorship. Um, one that we're connected to is One Club in New York. Um, they work with a lot of professionals of all works of life um, and will have programs to connect people in the industry with a mentor. So definitely look into that as well. And um, dovetailing on what Amy said, joining, be a joiner. That is so important. I'll just give you an example from um, having written my novel. I um, wrote my novel, got a publisher finally, and then COVID happened. And how do I go out and do book events if I can't go to a bookstore and, and have people come in and have uh, you know cheese and crackers and talk about my book? Well, there are a lot of organizations out there that were concerned about all of us debut novelists, um, and, and they reached out to us. So, for instance, Women's Fiction Writers Association, International Women's Writing Guild, Women's National Book Association, the list goes on and on, and those organizations, they all have women who have podcasts and blogs, and they did social media for us, and through those organizations, I was able to promote my book, and then also get tips from them, see how on, on their Facebook and their blogs and on their websites, how are they promoting their books, you know, how are they getting the word out um, themselves. So through those means of, of joining all kinds of organizations, and it was mentioned earlier in my bio, about the National Association of Black Journalists Award that I won, that, that I was in the National Association of Black Journalists back when I was in uh, newspaper reporting and also in TV reporting. And all along the way, that organization, the people in that organization have been so helpful and many of them have mentored me. So I would say, I, I just, I wanna underscore how important and how helpful it can be if you join organizations, you can find mentors and people to shepherd you along the way. I think I think um, I love what Lisa said, and I love that someone grabbed the quote and put it in the chat there. Um, I think one of the biggest things, and the question, Peter, I, I think you asked was around entry-level jobs, right? I would actually take it one step back, and Amy hinted at this. I would say if you aren't looking at internships or externships or co-ops, please, please, please do so. As soon as you can find an internship, if it's a summer internship, if it's a uh, winter internship, spring, fall, if you have time, go out and try and do that. Um, and while you're working as an intern or an entry-level individual, raise your hand. As she, as she said, be a joiner, raise your hand and, and offer to help out. 
every project, every team needs help. There's no team that's going to say, oh, we're good. We don't need anybody to help us, right? Uh, somebody mentioned earlier creating decks. Ask to help with a deck, uh, a PowerPoint presentation, right? Ask to do some review. And then when you're getting involved in these areas, make sure to ask for feedback. Hey, this is my first draft of my deck. Can I get some feedback? This is my first draft of my post. Can you, can you take a look at this post? So as, you, as you're offering to help, make sure to ask for feedback so that people can provide coaching. They can provide um, constructive uh, uh, feedback so that you can continue to improve and that your work will continue to improve. Just to add really quickly, sometimes if you have if you have that extra time and you're able to uh, during summer, uh, be a part of summer institutes and fellowships uh, that are connected to the work that you like. For example, I'm going to plug in my my institution. We have a what's called the Warren Fellowship for Pre-Service Teachers. It's a fully paid program, and you spend a week here at the museum learning about what happens here at the museum and also learning about a history, right, the Holocaust and human rights history. But you gain not only the knowledge, you also gain those relationships and connections to people in the museum world. And again, we continue. I've, I've been in this program for almost 10 years, and I continue to hear from alumni from the past, always asking questions how we can help. So that's how you build those relationships with folks. And just to add, I saw a quick question about someone living in Iowa. How would I go about getting internships for companies in publishing and editing? And, you know, I hate to say it, but one of the best things to come out of the pandemic is the fact that all those media companies, publishing companies, a lot where previously all of the jobs you had to be in New York City or you had to be um, in another major city, we now have a ton of remote opportunities and this is permanent for us. And so, you know, there are going to be those some jobs and some companies where they require you still to be in the office in a major city. But I would say for the majority, there is a lot more flexibility with remote opportunities now. And, and can I just add to that, that um, the associations I just mentioned, the Women's Fiction Writers Association, International Women's Writing Writers Guild, Women's National Book Association, they're national and international organizations. And there are people in those organizations who do uh, writing all over the country. And so through those contacts, through your Facebook pages and Twitter and everything else, and contacting them directly, you could find out about how, how to find work in Iowa, definitely. And I wonder if I could piggyback off that with kind of an additional question. Um, I'm looking at some questions that were submitted previously. And a big theme with them was remote work. So one of the questions was, I'm sorry, there's birds. But one of the questions was, can I have a remote and creative career where I use the skills I learned? And what are your suggestions for that? So you guys have given some great ones for remote work. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that? I mean, sure, I think the answer is, Yes, absolutely. You can have a remote career in creative work. Uh, I think it, it can also be a blend of if you're a full-time employee or if you want to work uh, as a contractor or as a consultant, if you want to do freelance work. Um, I, I think there's a multitude uh, of roles. And, and I'm going to speak from personal experience. The Coca-Cola company, we've been predominantly remote since March 16th of 2020. So it's been almost two years we're shy of like three weeks, right? But let's call it two years that we've been 100% remote. I think companies will start to go back into the office. We'll have more hybrid work than we had before the pandemic. And I think a lot of companies have already announced that for some roles and some teams, they're going to be 100% remote. So I think the, sh the short answer is yes, absolutely 100%. You can have a remote career in a creative space. 
Has anyone heard of meetup.com? Meetup.com is great for finding in your location, wherever it is, Iowa or wherever it is, what you like to do. Spanish classes, writing opportunities. Meetup.com is excellent for everything we've been discussing so far. I love and, it. And That's a and oh, ahead, I, was just, I was just going to add for, for all of the job boards, if you think about Monster.com, Indeed, CareerBuilder, LinkedIn, uh, there's, a, there's a multitude of, of job boards online. Uh, there's, there's, for most of them, it's usually pretty easy to filter by remote, right? So if you want to go in and look for jobs in Atlanta, Georgia, New York, New York, New York, or Iowa, you can look for jobs in Iowa, but you should also be able to look for 100% remote. It'll, it may be fewer depending on the time of year, and it may be a lot more depending on the time of year. So that's the other thing I would encourage you to just keep your eye out from month to month, week to week, because companies are posting every single day. And you can usually filter, you can usually sort rather by like newest to oldest or by oldest to newest, depending on how you want to do it. And you can go and see how many companies posted remote jobs and, and creative jobs today. And, and I think you might be surprised by the number. Yeah, absolutely. That is a great suggestion. Um, and I kind of want to pivot a tiny bit from there. I know we've talked about uh, freelancing and things like that. So if a student decides to, or a learner, or I guess an employee, decides to quit freelancing and uh, pursue a career in writing or editing or whatever the case may be with a company, what skills do you think would help that tra transition the most? And I'll leave it open for anyone again. So I can start with that one. We certainly have a lot of people at our company who start from a freelance career and end up with one of our full-time editing or writing roles. So what we really look for is one, knows how to meet a deadline. Um, it is really important to us, especially because all of our publications are digital. We actually have one uh, W Magazine that is still in print as well. Um, however, digital, the majority of our staff is writing solely for the web. And because of that, you know, there are some things that we do require. One is writing really quickly and cleanly. Um, it is certainly hard to translate writing, you know, big, long features over the course of months into quick uh, writing and news coverage. So ideally, the people who are looking for roles with us have done that kind of similar freelance work uh, that they're going to be doing at our company before. Um, so certainly quick writing, clean writing, writing on a deadline, um, as well as just resourcefulness and some reporting skills. So ideally, that's another thing that, um, or research skills as well. Um, those are kind of all the things that we look for uh, in a in a writer editor. Awesome, great answer. Thank you. Um, so, kind of going off that question again, talking about, you know, again, these transitional skills. Um, and I'll, I'll say to you, I was a liberal arts major. I'm a liberal arts graduate, so I feel like I'm kind of allowed to say this. But I feel like there is a bit of a reputation for liberal arts degrees being soft skill degrees, right? And I think people undersell and undervalue soft skills. So with that in mind, how would you suggest that someone highlight their soft skills during an interview? So I'll, I'll jump in here. And I think the the biggest area you can focus on is, is read the job description and, and read up on what the company is looking for. So not just in this job, but for the team, for that organization, right? Alex, Alex gave some really good examples. 
of all the different reporting skills and analytic skills, you know, quick writing, writing on a deadline. Look at look at the job description. Does the, does the job description say must be able to meet deadlines? Be able to talk to what are the deadlines that you've met, right? Does it talk about really crisp, clean writing? You, maybe you talk about a Twitter account that you keep it not under 140 characters, but you keep it under 60 characters, right? Some, something simple, something creative like that, but make sure that you're tailoring your answers and you tailor your your resume, your job application, make sure you're tailoring it to that job to figure out in this job description, what are the skills they're looking for, the experiences they're looking for, the requirements they're, that they're looking for, and then what do I have that matches that, right? Something that's really, really common is people will talk about skills that just aren't relevant for this particular job, right? They'll say, oh, I did a project and this is what we did on the project, but it doesn't really, it doesn't tie back in. How does it, so you need to make sure to be able to tie it back into this job at this company with this team. So I think, I think that's the biggest thing is make sure to tailor your answer. And, and just to add, you know, when it comes to soft skills, typically if the recruiters and talent acquisition team is doing their job, uh, ideally they would have put kind of an evaluation within the interview, um, you know, to kind of evaluate you for those soft skills, um, you know, whether that is communication skills or, you know, working with a team, whatever it is, um, you don't necessarily always have to put it, you know, on a resume, but rather, you know, kind of when you're preparing for certain interviews, have examples of how you've exhibited these soft skills so you can kind of tell those stories during the interview process. Absolutely. I would say try and practice your answers ahead of time. Something that's really, really common is we overspeak and we overshare and we, t we give a five minute answer when it could be a 60 second answer. So try and figure out how can you give a five minute answer in 60 seconds and give your the person you're speaking with, give them an opportunity to ask more questions. And if they want to dive deeper, they'll dive deeper. And if they want to move on to another area, they'll move on to another area. One of the most common mistakes I see people that are entry level up to senior directors make is they just talk and talk and talk and talk. Try and keep it short and concise. That is a, a personal challenge for me, so I will take that to heart. <laughs> um, no, those, those are fantastic answers. Uh, I also wanted to ask uh, Michelle specifically, are there any careers that you could recommend in in um, like with a history lens, uh, museums or not, but especially with this conversation with um, soft skills and uh, the other degrees that are out there as well. Right, so I did get my MLA in history and then focused on grad school for a bit, um, thinking that I was going to be a writer, but instead went the route of education. And of course I used my skills in that. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely in an education setting, you know, these soft skills are greatly need it right and i'm thinking more of like curriculum and an instruction at a higher level and an administrative level so if you're interested in that that definitely is important to have those critical thinking skills um in a museum setting of course you're always going to use your your degree in some way right uh there's there's uh, so many aspects to the museum world not just through education but there's so many ways that you can just develop a love of I'm losing my train of thought. My apologies. <laughs> there, there goes the rambling, right? My apologies. But yeah, definitely different types of sectors. 
fantastic. I like to say that my brain um, picked up its bags and walked off. It, it happens to me a lot, so I understand. <laughs> awesome, fantastic. These have been some great answers. Um, I also wanted to ask a little bit more kind of focused on, on your all's career path. So for anyone, what has been the most rewarding moment since earning your degree, or I guess since starting this position that we're discussing right now? So for me, I joined and helped launch Bustle.com nine years ago. There was no website. There was nothing. This was like just as, um, you know, really a lot of publications were going digital at all. Um, and so again, it's super long time ago, and it has been so rewarding to watch the company grow from about three people to now we have over 600 people, um, and 13 different publications that we've both launched and acquired. And it has been so cool to watch the evolution, I would say, of all of our employees who have been with us for four, five, six, seven, eight years, um, to watch that growth. Um, I know I still wouldn't be here at the company if it wasn't for all of the change that goes on within digital media. And I'm a big proponent of working in this industry. It can be scary, you know, when you hear about publications closing down, but the digital space itself is uh, really robust and an exciting place to be. I, I would say for me, one of the most rewarding moments in my career has been was when the organization, the nonprofit I worked for, the National Fire Protection Association, sent me to South Africa. We uh, got a request from some um, uh, fire chiefs in Cape Town as well as Johannesburg that they really wanted to have, they need some help with the fire problem in the informal settlements in these shack towns where they don't have fire codes and these shacks are built so close together and they don't have fire safety. They, they just have these ovens that blow up, that can blow up on you and they're using candles at night. It's just on and on. And there's no, they have no 911 system. So they have a long phone number that you, if you can find your cell phone, you call them. By that time, your home is destroyed. Your shack is destroyed. So I went down there with the team and we went twice and uh, and did some educational. Uh, we did a, a curriculum for the school system for the firefighters to train other firefighters on this uh, fire safety curriculum and to know that we've made a difference. And hopefully um, some of the, the horrible burns that the, some of the children uh, have gotten, we, we lessened that and lessened the number of fires. We came back and afterwards, um, Channel 7 in Boston asked us to, my boss and me, to go on the show to talk about that during a public affairs show. So using those journalism skills to do that interview. And also I wrote an article for, long form article for a technical magazine about my experiences and the situation in South Africa using those skills as well. So I think that's one of those experiences. And I did um, have a little bit of downtime to ride an elephant for the first time. That was That was a lot of fun. So those skills that I acquired along the way all helped me to um, be chosen for that trip. They could have chosen someone else, but with my background, they chose me to, to go down there and represent NFPA to do that work. So that, that's, that's, there's a lot of re rewarding moments, but that's one of the most rewarding moments. I'll share my, my biggest failure. This will make sense. Bear with me. And then I want to share my biggest reward. <clears throat> so this is years ago now, about four years ago. Uh, a buddy of mine that I was working with left the company that I was working with and he went to go work for DoorDash. Now, for any of you who follow DoorDash and look at their stock, uh, he's been there long enough and he's been successful enough that today I'm not exaggerating. Enough, he has enough stock that he is a millionaire. I'm not, I'm not making this up. And when he went to DoorDash a number of years ago, he said, Zach, you should come over. You should, you should interview. 
And I was like, ah, I don't know if I want it. I'll give it a go. And I did the first round interview. It went okay. And then they put me to the second round interview. And I didn't prepare for the second round interview. I didn't have any notes. I didn't have any questions. I didn't have my resume in front of me. I was driving through Atlanta traffic at five o'clock in the afternoon, which if any of you know anything about Atlanta traffic at five o'clock, it's terrible. So I didn't prepare for this interview at all. Needless to say, I didn't make it on to the next round. I didn't get an offer. I'm not a millionaire today. That's okay because that's my one of my greatest failures. And I'm okay to share that story because my greatest reward is I got a call. I, I got a message about an opportunity at the Coca-Cola company. And I can tell you, I prepared more for that interview than any of you interview I've ever had in my entire life. And then I prepared for the next interview and I prepared for the next interview. And it, when I finally got the job offer, it was for my dream job with a dream company. And mind you, I was about mid-career. It wasn't early career. It wasn't my first job. I'd had a few other jobs before. But that was my greatest failure was not preparing for DoorDash. And my greatest reward was preparing for Coca-Cola and getting the opportunity. So I would just say, take my failure and learn from it. If you have an interview, prepare, prepare, prepare. I guess mine would be, uh, you know, because I'm in this role in this space, knowing that it uh, is important to have representation in spaces, especially in museums. Um, my biggest, I think, success has been the work that I've done here has provided an opportunity for this museum to become a bilingual Spanish-English museum, which has meant that we are able to now reach Spanish-speaking communities here in the Houston area. So because of the work that I've done here and being a, a Latina woman, I've been able to use that and hold that space to create and open opportunities for other Latinos um, in the community. But again, exploring now into a more uh, BIPOC space, we want to be more inclusive of other so, sorry, my alarm went off. So, yeah, I think that's one of my uh, greatest successes. I was trying to think of something in my recent job because I, I was in journalism such a, it feels like forever ago. Um, and I, I really like what Zach said. I mean, I, I think with every failure, it, it's really just a chance to learn. Um, it, so, uh, I ended up in HR. It's a funny story. I tripped over my cat broke my foot I was not FMLA qualified I literally fell into recruiting um with my last job and um at first I wasn't as passionate about it but it gave me the experience I needed to be at pace and it has been a great experience because I'm getting to talk to so many amazing people that are in my wheelhouse and I really have found my dream job where I I've got to really use both skill sets that I've learned from these two different careers so Definitely wanted to just kind of, um, like again, piggyback on Zach in that regard. Um, and just my my greatest success so far at Pace is just um, I I've really kind of helped try or, or at least try to um, change the the processes uh, the thought processes of, of some of our hiring managers because um, like someone right out of school I've I I tell them all the time these individuals um, while they are still brand new to the field. They're coming out with the newest trends, the biggest, you know, the, just the um, most up-to-date knowledge. And um, I know we did that once. We, I convinced them to hire somebody that was a, a strategy um, 
she really wanted to get into strategy. She had started her own business. She was just really innovative, but didn't have the real world experience. And they ended up bringing her on and giving her a chance. She had the right mentor and she really flourished. So um, I, I like to ha- I, I like to have our hiring managers think outside the box when looking at resumes as well. And I, I feel like I've contributed a little bit to that and I'm still working on it, but. There's, there's no greater feeling than pushing back on a hiring manager and saying, yeah. <laughs> hey, we only have a slate of male candidates. We need a slate of female candidates. Or we only have a slate of non-diverse candidates. However, your organization measures diversity. We don't have a single diverse candidate. And when you push to put that diverse candidate in, or diverse candidates, plural, right? And then the, the, the interview panel comes back and the hiring manager comes back and goes, Amy, that was the best candidate we've ever interviewed. Nope. I've had that happen several There's times. no greater feeling. There's <laughs> no greater feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, those are fantastic answers. I really appreciate that. And Amy, that sounds like a very fateful um, fall. So I'm glad you're okay. Glad the cat's okay. But no, those are, those are some fa- fantastic answers. Um, so we have about 10 minutes before we're done here. I'm going to definitely be respectful of everyone's time. So I've got a couple more questions. Um, and actually, Lisa, I wonder if I could get you to answer this one. So in the questions I've seen in the chat and also in the questions that were submitted ahead of time, there's a big focus on essentially, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. I don't know what I'm do with my degree. I don't know. I mean, I wanted to be a nun when I was a kid for crying out loud. So I definitely, I, I sympathize. Um, what would you say to learners who are essentially trying to figure out where to apply their degree and are maybe interested in a, in a variety of different um, industries? I've got a, a great answer here. And this is actually something that, that I did myself. A, register for well, every career. Oh, I'm sorry, Lisa. I'm so sorry. My, my apologies if that was direct. No problem. No problem. I'm just, I'm just, no, no, no. I'm just I'm just joking I'm, on you. But yeah, I'll, I'll answer the question. That then you can come back to me. So, um, I would just say walk in their shoes. Whatever you're interested in, walk in the shoes of of, the, of that person or that profession. For instance, I thought I wanted to be a magazine um, writer, and one of my classmates in college, she got a job at Essence Magazines. I was like, oh, that's just got to be so exciting. And she's at Essence. She's in New York City. And I took the train. I'm from Bridgeport, Connecticut. I took the train down to New York to her office, and it was like just a really dingy office with the, the carpeting was held together with tape and the, it, it was just there was no activity going on there. And it was she was she said all she does is fact check and and work with the freelancers and, and do their fact checking. And that's how you really get started. And I was like, I'm not sure if I want to do that. And 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 one time I, I just just popped into a TV station before the news came on. And I asked one of the um, news anchors if I could sit in and watch them do the news. And they let me, you know, watch watch the news. And he said, if you want any other other tips about television reporting, um, you know, just contact me. And so what I would I what I would do is just walk in the shoes of what I was interested in doing to find out more about it. Spend a day, like um, take, they say, take your daughter to to work day. Take your um, the, the the person who wants to aspire for this type of a career and and see if they'll let you come in and shepherd, you know, walk a uh, shadow them. Do, do you know, shadowing t- types of things. And oftentimes, as we were saying earlier, if you go to a conference and you make contacts, uh, you can find people that will say, sure, come into my office and you can see how I work and what it's like. And I would just say, while you have the time, while you're in college, try try different things. Just, just try different things and, and just go to those settings and then get some idea. And 
maybe like me, you can be a, a, a dabbler and a dilettante and try all kinds of careers. I mean, I, I say to myself, I'd have a, a great pension right now if I just stayed in one thing, which I just I just couldn't do it. But just, you know, you, you can always try different things and cobble them together as I have at this point and use all those skills. Zach, Zach, it's, it's your turn now. I am so sorry, Lisa. I, I, I missed that it was a directed question. I apologize. I apologize. That's fine. Um, when I was in college, I studied international business and Spanish. And when I was getting ready to graduate, I didn't know what industry I wanted to work in. I didn't know what function I wanted to work in. And I didn't know what country that I wanted to work in. I was like having a, a, a quarter life crisis or, you know, whatever. Um, what I what I did at the time, and, and I think I heard Peter and, and Daisy talk about this earlier. I went to every single career fair that was in person and that was online. And in fact, my first sort of real job after after college, there was a virtual career fair. There were 100 companies that had registered for virtual career fair. I researched every single company because I didn't know a lot of the companies. I researched every single company and I looked at every single job posting they had and what they were recruiting for. Even if you don't know what you want to do, start to figure out what's available, what's out there. And you'll figure out what's, what you don't want to do and that will help you filter down to what you do want to do and start to look at the companies and say, oh, Alex Finkel's on this call. She's talking about this company. This sounds really interesting. I want to learn a little bit more what Alex does. Hey, Michelle's in Houston. I live in Houston. I'm interested in living in Texas. Let me check out this museum. This sounds like super interesting. They're in, they're, they're in the, um, they're introducing new, new languages. I, you know, I'm, I'm studying Spanish as a minor. Maybe I could go work in a museum with, with Michelle. So I would say, look at online career fairs and virtual career fairs, research the companies and research the opportunities. That's one of the best tips I can give. Yeah, those are fantastic answers. Um, I appreciate that. So we, again, we have about five minutes left. I'm gonna kind of do, and this is, this is I haven't prepared y'all, so I apologize. Kind of rapid fire here. What is the best advice or quote that you've ever been given? And I know mine, for instance, is that I should always clean my desk and workspace every single Friday to start Monday clean and fresh. So big or small, rapid fire, best advice you've ever been given. I'll start. So mine is always have an open mind and don't be afraid to take risks. You know, I would not have signed up to work at Bustle like it had not, it was nothing. It was literally like two employees. And at the time I was like, I have nothing to lose. Um, and I also know that that is pretty that is a privileged space to be in. But if you have the opportunity to be there and you're offered a job of, you know, somewhere where maybe you don't know too much about the company, but you really like what they're doing or they're not really a big name. Don't be afraid to take that risk. Um, it is much more important the work you're going to do than the name on your resume. Uh, the best advice I've gotten was advice I gave to myself, which was to use the uh, spaghetti on the wall technique. If you throw enough spaghetti on the wall, someone's bound to hire you. I mean, I've really done that. Just fire hose the industry <laughs> until someone says yes. That's what I've done. <laughs> Okay, I think I would say uh, never stop learning. Even if you are uh, establishing a career already, you're always going to have that professional development to continue learning and building on your skills, like I'm doing with my digital skills. <laughs> Definitely um, be patient and don't give up. Um, if you're passionate about something, keep working towards that. Um, you're going to make it happen. Uh, just having that patience and will to keep going will take you very far. I think echoing Amy and Lisa, it, it's you got to have the persistence to keep trying, keep applying, keep interviewing. 
it's really easy to say, I've applied to 100 jobs and I haven't heard back, or I've interviewed with 20 companies and I haven't gotten an offer yet, or I've, you know, it, I would just say, you got it, you got to keep working at it. Honestly, sometimes it's not, it's not the most talented, but it's the hardest workers. If you put in the work, the results will come. Fantastic. Thank you, everyone, so much. And Peter, I will turn it over to you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for attending. Panelists, uh, thank you very much for uh, attending this session. Hopefully, everybody had some good takeaways. I know I learned uh, some, th some some things as well, so uh, that was definitely great. Uh, as a reminder, this session was recorded, so if you want to hear it again, um, you can absolutely go into Handshake, uh, where you registered. If you didn't register yet, you can go in there real quick and, and check out the event at least, and then you can see the recording in the comments section. Panelists, we'll get the recording to you as well. Um, and then it, I know there, there might have been one or two questions that were missed, or maybe you think of something after this. Um, as you guys know, the panelists all had their LinkedIn's um, at the beginning of the session, so um, I would recommend contacting them there if you have a question and, and ask a message through LinkedIn is a good is a good method. So again, thank you everybody for attending. Uh, please check out our website or connect with your career advisor. Again, the email for career is cocecareer at snhu.edu. And then uh, Torian just put it in the chat and we have our contact number as well. And then uh, check our events and, and jobs out on Handshake as well. So that does conclude our panel for this evening. Thank you everybody for attending and have a great night. Thank you. Thank you.